welcome to CMIO Podcast, a show devoted to educating and informing those who are making healthcare easier for others. Whether you're involved with informatics, analytics, or new technologies that make the lives of our practicing clinicians better, this show is for you. My name is Dr. Mark Weissman. I'm a practicing physician and CMIO and the host of CMIO Podcast. Today, covering the news to know for the week of January 20th. A couple of really big articles have come out. We're going to touch on what the ONC is saying about their strategic plan. You probably should be aware of those. And we're going to talk about uh, about Epic's response to what the ONC is doing, because they got a whole bunch of lobbying activity going on. And we're going to end with some research in Annals of Internal Medicine that came out of Cerner that's really, really valuable for CMIO. So let's dive in. Article one, this one comes out of EHR intelligence. ONC health IT strategic plans call for patient data access. So they announced, they released uh, their 2020 to 2025 federal health IT strategic plan, placing a big focus on patient data access, shopping for case and health management. The draft federal strategic plan supports the provisions in the 21st Century Cures Act that will help to bring electronic health information into the hands of patients through smartphone applications, said Don Rucker, MD. He's the National Coordinator for Health IT. We look forward to public comments to help guide the federal government strategy to have a more connected health system that better serves patients. So they're open right now up and through sometime in March for public comment. So feel free to jump on there and give your two cents. The 2025 Federal Health IT Strategic Plan touches on four ways the federal government intends to utilize health IT to improve patient health and wellness, boost care experiences, promote more health research, and drive health IT interoperability. So I'm not going to go through much more of this. I read the entire release about the strategic plan, and I'll save you some reading time here. It's basically they really do want interoperability. They want other companies to be able to reach into an EHR and pull data out through APIs and push data back in. And that's where this gets really interesting about EHRs opening up their databases to letting others put data back into it. And that has to be done carefully. So I understand some of the arguments here, but I'm gonna read the next article. Healthcare data sharing rules touch off intense lobbying fight. This one comes out of politico.com. January 15, 2020, the looming release of data sharing rules for healthcare have sparked an intense lobbying fight with hospitals, digital health firms, and patient access groups joining a battle that pits the promise of care coordination and streamlined research against nightmares over compliance and privacy. On Tuesday, former HHS Secretary and Wisconsin Governor, notice that, highlight that, Wisconsin Governor, those of you who don't know, that's where Epic is located. Uh, Governor Tommy Thompson jumped into the fray with an op-ed denouncing the rules on behalf of a hometown company, health record giant Epic, which is based in Madison. The proposed rules currently under White House review would allow patients to access their health information and share it with third-party apps, requiring hospitals to send notifications of admissions, discharges, or transfers, and penalize information blocking. It also allows researchers and doctors to share screenshots of software to promote safety. 
challenge you right now to go out on Google, if you haven't done this, and try to find a screenshot of Epic. It is virtually impossible to find one because Epic sues the pants off of you to even think about doing it. And that's because they're protecting their intellectual property. I'm not going to say whether that's right or wrong, but some doctors are complaining that, hey, we want to highlight a patient's safety concern and be able to show it to our colleagues, and they can't. And that would be overcome by these rules. Uh, let's see, read you another, uh, maybe two or three lines here. The primary beneficiaries of this rule are venture capitalists and others taking advantage of patient data, says Epic executive Sumit Rana in an interview on Monday. Disclosing patient records in unfettered fashion can hurt patients, he said. The rule's promise of eased access to a patient's entire medical record through an interface as an invitation for app developers, well-funded and sketchy alike, to pick over patient data and commercialize it, he said. In that, he said, the proposed rules go well beyond the 21st Century Cures Act, which sought to modernize health care with better use of IT. Um, the rule will force health IT developers to disclose proprietary screen designs and other trade secrets that may also enable competitors to steal algorithms, configurations, and other information of significant value to the industry. I can't imagine that screenshots are that valuable, to be honest. None of them have interfaces that blow anyone's socks off, so they probably should open them up and let people help them. Uh, then here's the final line. Researchers and doctors have long argued that sharing screenshots of health electronic records is crucial to improving usability and safety problems with the software. Non-disclosure provisions in record contracts effectively gag them from opening discussion of such problems, they say. The rules expressly allow screenshots to the chagrin of developers. So two articles talking about what the ONC is up to and who's on which side of this argument. So you got Silicon Valley on one side saying, we need to open up, we need access to this data so our third party apps can make life better and more cell phone-like for our patients. And on the other side, you have the monolithic EHR companies that want to defend their turf. They don't want people getting access to the data. They like it when they have control of all the data. And they're saying that's for the benefit of patient privacy and security. Uh, I always like to reference Bill Russell on this, if you haven't listened to his show. He always says the best person to have control of the data is the patient, because if there's a hack and a breach, they get one record. If someone hacks the hospital, they can get millions of records. So it's safer if you distribute it. Got a good point about that. Let's jump to another topic. Cigna expands MD Live Telehealth Partnership to primary care. And this was in Forbes. It was also written about all over the place. This is a big deal. So here's a few lines. Health insurance giant Cigna is expanding online access to primary care physicians via its telehealth partner, MD Live, for the insurer's employer-sponsored plan clients. The move is significant because it greatly expands the use of telehealth and virtual access to doctors. From the already existing behavioral health and urgent care services, MD Live offers Cigna employer-sponsored health plan enrollees. The existing efforts could be considered more as a way to help patients avoid an unnecessary trip to the emergency room or get someone with mental health access quickly to avoid an adverse mental health outcome. MD Live says Cigna will be its first health insurer partner to offer virtual care for preventative checkups beginning in the second quarter of 2020. 
Cigna and MD Live executives said that telehealth offerings aren't designed to replace someone's existing relationship with their primary care physician unless the employee chooses. Rather, it's designed to make healthcare more consistent and employees can also use MD Live to supplement the care they're already getting. It was just a matter of time before we started to see an attack on primary care being done through telehealth. And it's probably a good thing. This is not, I'm not saying it's a bad attack, but to be honest, when a patient comes in to see me and I say, gee, you're 50, you need a colonoscopy. There was nothing brilliant that I did there that I needed to have you in front of me to do that. So a ton of preventative primary care can be handled through telehealth. And so can a lot of the minor upper respiratory stuff. There's not a whole lot that I do on a hypertension visit that's going to rock your socks off here with just some brilliant physical exam. I need to know your blood pressures and I need to know what medicines you're on and then we can see if we want to tweak them. So now I'm going to get yelled at by people saying the physical exam is sacrosanct and the best thing in medicine. Yeah, I get that. But in reality, most of us, the physical exam for a huge chunk of our visits does not play a dramatic factor in what we do. So I think telehealth will certainly play a role. And I think you're seeing more and more companies switching towards this kind of approach. Next article. So there was a huge conference that took place. This is the JP Morgan Health Conference. And it tends to be attended by CEOs and venture capitalists. I think it was out in California. So this is a letter that was written by the CEO of Strata Decision Technology. And this came out Thursday, January 16th. I got it out of Becker's Hospital Review. And they go over like the top 10 questions you should be asking as a healthcare company. And there's some in here, I'm not gonna read all 10. There's some in here that really are probably, they're really important for CMIOs to think about. And so number five on the list, are our physicians optimistic or pessimistic? There's a lot of concern about physician burnout with a reflex to blame it on EHRs. Cutting off the needed conversation to dive deeper into where it really comes from and how best to address it. The challenge over the next decade is to create an optimistic, engaged, and collaborative culture with physicians. In reading this, some will react with skepticism, which is exactly why leadership here is so important. Stop and just talk about this one for just a second. I think this question is important because the CMIOs we know that physician engagement matters. It matters in terms of how physicians are building relationships with patients. It matters in how physicians get involved in quality initiatives. If they are not optimistic about healthcare, they disengage. They could also go into depression and burnout and other problems. And we as CMIOs, we have a role to play here in terms of making it better for the providers and getting them engaged and excited about the future. So it's a great question that we should be asking and answering how we make it better ourselves. It's definitely something our CEOs are looking for us to do. The next, number seven here is data. Will we make data liquid? The most undervalued and misunderstood asset of health systems may be their data. While some of the conference referred to this as having the economic equivalent of being the oil of healthcare, 
The real and more practical question is whether or not your organization will make data liquid, available, and accessible to the right players on your team at the right time. And Jeff Bolton from Mayo commented that the current model is broken. Data and tech can eliminate fragmentation. In a, a recent Stratus survey, they asked leaders in the health system whether they had access to information they needed to do their job, and 90% said no. For many health systems, data is a science project hidden behind the scenes, primarily used for research and impossible to access for most stakeholders. The call to action here is activating that data to improve clinical outcomes, operations, and or financial performance. As CMIOs definitely were on this. We need to break down those data silos. And this is very much organizational culture and also sometimes about the data architecture. Do you have the tools and systems in place to bring the data together if you wanted to is one. Number two is do you have the resources to do it because it's time intensive to bring this data together. And then number three is do you have permission to do it? Are those who keep the data willing to let others look at it? And that's not a universal yes. I'll do two more, I think. Uh, next, cost. Are we serious about reducing the cost of care and delivering value? Affordability is a hot topic, and for good reason. As high deductible plans, price transparency, and other factors have accelerated its urgency. As Intermountain Healthcare CEO Dr. Mark Harrison shared, we have an absolute responsibility to make healthcare affordable. While the consumer side will be a moving target for some time, the number one challenge for hospitals right now is to lower their cost structure so they can compete more effectively in the future. So I think this is a really important concept for CMIOs to keep in mind and be actively involved in reducing the cost of care. This is something your CEO does care about and we should be involved in projects that help to reduce that cost of care. And we can do it through clinical decision support. We can do it by putting analytics in front of the right people and helping to reduce variation in care. We're key players in this. We definitely need to make our work very visible. I think CEOs and CFOs will really appreciate that. Next, let's do number nine, is do we have an asset light strategy? So this is Intermountain Healthcare CFO, Bert Zimmerly, refers to their overall thought process as an asset light expansion strategy. In 2019, they opened a virtual hospital and they've now delivered over 700,000 virtual interactions. The number of virtual visits at Kaiser Permanente now exceeds the number of in-person visits at their facilities. So I mentioned this one simply to let you know what others are doing in the virtual space. I think we're moving too slow, but that's because the payment models have not driven us to move fast. And you don't want to go too fast here and take revenue out of your clinics. I don't think that's a big risk. To be honest, I think if you're using virtual healthcare and extending out there, there is an entire untapped market of people who are not going to the doctor that we could reach. So I think it's net value added if you have virtual capabilities, not going to take away from your existing facilities. So Cerner also presented at this conference. And this was uh, out of Becker's Hospital View, Jackie Drees, Wednesday, January 15th, how Cerner is paving the way for a new era of EHRs. And this came from CEO Brent Schaefer. So here's what the CEO was talking about. Uh, it says the EHR vendor will continue to transform its business strategy in 2020. 
by redefining its client experience and cementing its position as part of the new cognitive era in healthcare. Cerner's partnership with Amazon Web Services, which the company announced last July, will also support Cerner's growth in the coming year as it moves into a new era for EHRs. Here's a quote. This is where we get into the idea of cognitive healthcare, Mr. Schaefer said. The EHR market is largely penetrated. There's been adoption, but it's not loved. Most users don't love using the EHR because it's data intensive. Finding ways to simplify that experience, better user interface, better workflows using voice where possible, these are all great opportunities. I love the fact that a CEO of an EHR company is saying that. That's, they get it. They absolutely get it. Mr. Schaefer said the intention of reestablishing the joy of practicing medicine will be one of Cerner's driving factors in the year ahead to improve patient outcomes and reduce operational administrative burdens that get in the way of delivering care. In December, the company achieved its 500th patent, which is a voice-assisted technology to support clinician documentation. It also developed a new platform with Amazon Web Services that supports data scientists in creating and managing machine learning models at scale. So why do I think this is important? One is the Cerner's move to Amazon Web Services was a big deal and was announced in July. Epic has recently followed saying Google is out. It's not going to be supporting Google integration. But moving more of this data to the cloud where you can then use machine learning algorithms to help drive better care is the future. And Cerner is throwing all its chips in there saying we're going this way. They want to act more as a platform, it sounds like, where they're not necessarily having people host Cerner on their own property and own machines, but rather getting that up into the cloud. And that's, I think, going to be an important change for us moving forward. I would love to see us get out of the data warehousing business. I do not think it's our core competency. We cannot keep up with the expense and the need for faster processing and more data, memory, storage. So let someone else do that who does it for a living. So let's talk about the Annals of Internal Medicine paper that's written January 14, 2020. Physician time spent using the electronic health record during outpatient encounters, a descriptive study. The background, the amount of time that providers spend using electronic health records to support the care delivery process is a concern for the U.S. healthcare system. Given the potential effect on patient care and the high costs related to this time, particularly for medical specialists whose work is largely cognitive, these findings warrant more precise documentation of the time physicians invest in these clinically focused EHR functions. So their objective was to describe how much time ambulatory medical subspecialists and primary care physicians across several U.S. care delivery systems spend on various EHR functions. The study included data from approximately 100 million patient encounters with about 155,000 physicians from 417 health systems. Physicians spent an average of 16 minutes and 14 seconds per encounter using EHRs, with chart review taking up 33%, documentation 24%, and ordering 17%. And when you put all those together, you come up close to 75% of our time in the EHRs done with those activities. So it's interesting what they found. 
that uh, 11% of the time was spent what they described as after hours, which was, I think, 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. They found that chart review was the most time-consuming at 5 minutes and 22 seconds. Clinical documentation took about 3 minutes and 51 seconds, and ordering took 2 minutes and 42 seconds. Those are great benchmarks for us to keep in mind because you should now take a look at your own systems and get a feel for what it takes. And I've done this recently. I was looking at how long it would take me, just myself, to orient myself to a patient before walking into the room and came up at about two and a half minutes for a relatively straightforward follow-up office visit. And so I could see how it could get up to five minutes and longer. And plus that was just the review I was doing outside of the room. It doesn't account for the review that happens when I get back lab tests and need to orient myself to the patient or uh, the time that could be spent in the room when the patient asks you a question on something that you hadn't prepped for ahead of time, you need to go look that up. So uh, five minutes and 22 seconds is a fair amount of time. And I think as CMIOs, it's a great area for us to focus. How can we get the right information in front of the providers in as easy a fashion as possible? And take a look at how you're doing that. The screen turnovers, how many times you have to go between different sections of the chart to find things. If you have to click on all the different tabs to get all the different information versus pulling it all together in one nice view for you. I think that's a, a really important optimization piece to consider. The other piece of the study that I thought was really interesting, the proportion of time spent on each activity was similar across specialties. Because all these providers all use the same EHR software, the variability must arise from other factors such as configuration differences, implementation specifics, practice configuration, for example, how the care team divides tasks among themselves and individual provider choices. That is really feels spot on to me. Because we all know some providers love to control the entire process, even if that process is not the most efficient way of doing it not taking full advantage of all the resources that they have, afraid of angering their medical assistant, or just having to review every piece of information themselves, having to take their own blood pressures or own vitals or check the patient's weight. Those behaviors have to count for some of the variability we're seeing here. Okay, final quote for this article. This study provides a reliable estimate of the amount of time non-surgical physicians providing care to adults devote to using EHRs in the ambulatory setting. It does not answer the question of whether it is an appropriate amount of time. I do want to applaud Cerner for making the data public out here. This is really important stuff. To have these benchmarks helps us a ton, and I would encourage all of us to make great use. And if you haven't read this article, it's in Annals, and I highly recommend it. So that'll be it for today. We've got coming up this week, Dr. Jonathan Lee talking about 5G technology. Really interesting as to what a CMIO needs to know about that. So that's our show for today. Thank you for listening to CMIO Podcast. I've been your host, Mark Weissman. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or email me at cmiopodcast at gmail.com or at the website cmiopodcast.com. Some of your ideas for shows, guests you'd like to hear from, general feedback, or just to connect. And I look forward to bringing you our next episode.